Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. said it's uh, my name's Matt Tapley and my wife Lisa is here with me we we've been we celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary this past summer which means it means hold your applause the big ones this summer and I got to come up with a good idea so (laughs) and uh, we brought interns this wonderful worship leader here is our oldest daughter Abby and uh, she's just a wonderful woman of God and our other interns Gideon Brando Justine, Ashley, Heather, and uh, Joey, our son, and and Justin are in with the kids, and uh, we're just we're just privileged to be here to be able to serve this weekend, and uh, looking forward to our time together. Looking forward to uh, what God wants to do. I I have this idea that whenever God's people gets get together, God, uh, he 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 comes too. And I got that idea from the Bible where Jesus said, if two or three gather in my name, I'm there too. And when we praise the Lord, when we praise him, the Bible says that he sits enthroned in the praises of his people. This is a place where God's rule is dominant and everything else that would try to rule us has to bend here to the rule of God. So in this place, we have confidence that God wants to speak and that God wants to to shift us and move us forward. He creates when he speaks. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach from the Bible tonight. I hope that's okay. Uh, there's a lot of good sermon material in there. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I believe that the word of God has the power to create faith. And uh, hey to the Arnolds. They're, that's my brother's in-laws, which makes us cousins, I think. So I'm not sure how that works. Good to see you guys. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the word of the Lord has the power to create faith. And, uh, and so I, I'm going to preach from the Bible. If you brought your Bibles or you brought a device that has a Bible on it, make sure when you go on that device, you're going to the Bible and not checking the weather. If we could brave it all the way here from Niagara, let's just skip that for a second and give God. You know, we close our eyes when we pray because we're trying to shut out distractions. And we close our eyes and we lift our hands and when we worship because we're, we're saying to God, I'm, I'm giving you all my attention. And then sometimes we cancel it out when we pick up our phone. So let's do what we've just been doing as we pray and as we worship. If you're going to use your phone, use it as a Bible. But let's, let's give the word of God its room tonight. Acts chapter 28 is where I want to go. And, and Pastor Chad uh, is said, to, well, first let me just say what an honor. I was talking to the leadership uh, this afternoon, but just how blessed I am to, to be here with Pastor Chad and Melissa and have such high regard for them as just a man and woman of God and incredible leaders. And uh, you're a blessed house under their leadership. And these are great days and great days are coming. You know, one of the things I know about the, the local church is that it really, it, it, there's so much that will rise and fall on the health of leaders. When you have healthy leaders, do all you can to support them and bless them and encourage them. 
because there's so much good that God wants to do in this house. And, uh, and it's just, it is such a, a blessing to be here uh, with these guys. Uh, I was talking to Pastor Chad uh, before the service, and he told me to take my liberty. So I was like, good, because I'll, you know, I'll preach till, you know, 9 or 10 o'clock. And, and I know you guys are into that, so <laughs> just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Courtesy clap. Yeah. Okay. Someone's poking her right now. Stop it. Don't encourage him. Okay. Acts chapter 28. Are you there? If you're there, say, I'm there. Okay, if you're not there yet, just say, hold on a sec. <laughs> the hold on a secs are always a little more, hold on a sec. <laughs> okay, Acts chapter 28. The context here is, is uh, that the Apostle Paul is on a ministry assignment. He's, he's felt compelled in his heart that he needs to go to Rome. And so through a series of political voices and raising his voice politically, he's now been taken captive and he is being taken to Rome where he's going to testify and share his faith there. He had that conviction in his heart that that was the assignment the Lord had for him. And so um, he's on his way there. And the verses pre prior to where we're about to read talk about a storm that they went through and how they weathered and, and made it through this storm. Uh, and it was a severe storm where they couldn't even see the sun or the moon. It was just, you know, they couldn't tell what time of day it was. And um, God gave to the Apostle Paul a word. An angel came and actually told him, you're going to make it through the storm. And so uh, they made it through the storm, but the ship broke up and they wrecked on an island and they had to swim to shore. That's the preamble to uh, where we are here in chapter 28, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Oh, okay. So we're going to dig into this together tonight. So as I just said, the Apostle Paul is on this boat with a bunch of other criminals and, and a detachment of Roman military and supplies. They survive an incredible storm that lasted a long time. And they go through this storm that if you could just imagine being in the middle of a, of a storm where you cannot tell if it's day or night and people are fearing for the lives, everyone is giving up. At one point, the apostle has to interrupt uh, some of the soldiers from cutting some of the life rafts free, and they were going to sneak away and hopefully survive by themselves. This is an intense storm that they've been through. Storms often speak to us of difficult, challenging seasons in life. They provide for us a picture of sometimes how life, you know, weather is a part of life, but sometimes the weather gets a little nutty, and all of a sudden you're at the mercy of what normally is just kind of just in the background. Life can be like that. 
where there can sometimes circumstances can swell up and everything's coming at you from every direction and you find yourself in the midst of something where you are challenged to hang on. And here we find the apostle on the other side of a life-threatening storm. And right after that life-threatening storm, it sounds kind of all warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? They, the, the islanders welcome them. And they put, you know, they're like, hey, let's, let's have a little campfire. And you guys could just kind of warm up and snuggle together. We'll get some marshmallows. We'll, you know, one of the guys knows kumbaya and three chords. We'll get this happening for you guys. And everything just seems all warm and fuzzy and nice. And Paul is doing his part to help build the fire. And while he's grabbing some brushwood, a snake comes out from the brushwood and fastens itself to his hand. Now, I don't know if any of you can relate to that, and I don't mean have you ever been shipwrecked and then bit by a snake, but what I mean is have you ever been in a storm and then got bit by a snake right after you survived that? You know, sometimes it's not the storm that takes you out. It's the snake bite after the storm, if you can hear what I'm saying. It's the, it's the one thing after another, after another, that you start to kind of just feel like, really? Really? I mean, I, I get a word from God, I'm going to survive, and then a snake gets me? Man. When you've been battered for 14 days and nights without food, almost no sleep, and you survive, and then you get bit by a snake, that can be a lot to deal with to say the least. But in the midst of that circumstance of coming through the storm and being bit by a snake, Paul also had to deal with people. And the people, in verse 4 says that the people judged based on how it looked. And that's basically people in a nutshell. I think Acts chapter 28, verse 1 to 6, gives us a pretty good snapshot of just people. Not you people, just people. Other people. But you know, how people can be. They can judge by the surface. Some people, I don't know if you've ever encountered it, but some people can have bad theology about suffering and pain. They can have this idea that attacks and storms and getting bit by a snake or the stuff that's going on with you, how your kid's doing, someone you love is sick, something's going on that isn't quite the way that living the victorious life right now because of praying good prayers. And all, all of that is probably related to the fact that, you know, those attacks, some people have this idea, those attacks, those circumstances are judgments from God. It's kind of like, you know, if you've ever read the book of Job, Job, you know, his kids all die. His wealth all gets taken away from him. His health is taken away. He's going through the trial after trial after trial. And his friends come to encourage him. And his encouraging friends are just sitting there trying to prod him saying, Hey, buddy, why don't you just confess the sin in your life so that you can have breakthrough? Because clearly you're a mess. God's doing this to you because you're faking it. You look good at church on Sunday and you're lifting your hands and, and you know, you pray in prayer meeting and all that stuff, but God wouldn't allow this to happen unless there's something going on in your life that none of us know about. 
I'm so thankful that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> the flip side to that same bad theology can actually be the opposite extreme where people get some extreme teachings about faith. And the idea is if you just do these things, just claim these promises, just pray this way, just give this much to this ministry. You know, I remember when I was in Bible college, I had a professor who, you know, when I was in Bible college, was still when there was a lot of these guys on TV who would say, you know, send in your seed offering. You know, those guys, right? They, maybe they're still on TV. I don't know. I don't watch. But, but the idea of just send in your seed offering and God's going to give you a 1,000-fold harvest if you'll sow into this ministry at such and such an amount. And so this prophet of mine said, oh, that's a great idea. So he sent a letter to the ministry and he said, I want you to be blessed so much. I want you to give me $1,000 so that you can have the thousand-fold increase. It didn't work. They didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't take them up on that offer. That's not smart. Some people can measure the effectiveness of their faith by their lack of storms, their lack of shipwrecks, their lack of snake bites, as if how they pray or how they read the Bible, or how they claim, or how they prophesy, how they deal with stuff, is preventing adversity. And they think they're being encouraging when they tell you that, but the default setting to that is that the pain in your life is because you don't pray right. And I don't know if anybody here has ever had to deal with that. I'm just saying some of my personal experience, some of the things I've encountered. I believe we need to claim scripture. I believe we need to pray. I believe all of that. But I also know that sometimes we can do everything that God has shown us to do. And maybe we don't talk about this as enough in the church, but we can do everything that God has shown us to do and, and fast and pray. And, you know, this doesn't really build faith for breakthrough, but we need to address the fact that sometimes you can do all the right things and still the breakthrough doesn't come. And I say that because I just did, and I got a microphone stuck in my face. You know, Jesus, Jesus told us what to do when the anointing doesn't work. What do you mean, Pastor Matt? Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you out. Here you go, I'm putting an anointing on you. And you just go and you cast out demons, and you heal sick people, and you preach the good news. And everyone just likes to skip over the next part, except for that he said, and if you go somewhere and it doesn't work, just shake the dust off and go to the next place. What do you mean shake the dust off? Some people take that like Jesus is saying, it's those people's fault. They don't believe right, so go somewhere else where people believe right. And again, puts the blame on people. No, I think what Jesus was saying was, if you're going to have fresh faith for a fresh breakthrough, sometimes you just need to shake the dust off of the last failed attempt so that you can pray with fresh faith for the new attempt in God. Because if you're like me and you've experienced some disappointment, sometimes that disappointment tries to cling to you like dust on your shoes. And you're trying to step into some new territory, but you still have the residue of the last place. The last time. I think God in his wisdom, you know, in scripture, we read, you know, all through the gospels, Jesus healing people 
and in the book of Acts, the stories of the apostles healing people and all that stuff. I think God in his wisdom includes only those stories in scripture. Because if there was, of all the stories in scripture, of miracles and breakthroughs, if there was one story of some guy named Carl, it's a good Jewish name. So, so say there's one story in the book of Acts and the apostles go and they lay their hands on Carl and Carl doesn't get well and so they go and they pray and they have a funeral and a bunch of people get saved at the funeral. If there's one, one story like that in the Bible, I guarantee every time you try to get some people around you to pray for a breakthrough, there's going to be someone at the back of the prayer meeting going, I just feel God telling me this is a situation like Carl. And just let all the faith out of the back of the room. But I'm committed as a pastor. I, I, I'm passionate about the local church. I'm passionate about this church. The church is being in health. I, I believe that it's important that we learn how to grieve and believe at the same time. The Bible says that we need to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And the Bible doesn't say there's a season to weep and there's a season to rejoice. That's Ecclesiastes. What Paul's talking about is in real time, in local church family life, you need to know how to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice all at the same time, simultaneously. And I've discovered that people who are weeping don't really feel like laughing. And people who are laughing don't want the buzzkill of someone who's weeping. And so we only celebrate a certain kind of testimony. And if we only celebrate the certain kind of testimony, there's some people whose faith, maybe they didn't see the healing or the breakthrough. But what happened is God gave them an enduring faith to overcome the disappointment of that lack of breakthrough. And they're able to still say amen to someone else's breakthrough in the same area where they've been praying. And that testimony is worth something too. And learning how to journey this together as a spiritual family. You don't have to go there. But if you look at Acts chapter 11, the Bible talks about when Peter and James were both in jail. They're in jail and and the, the leader in that time took James and he cut his head off and it pleased the people. And everyone was really excited that, you know, in the community, yeah, we're going to wipe this church out. And so they beheaded James. And so the leader says, okay, I'm going to take off uh, Peter's head, but I don't want to do it on the weekend. So I'll wait till Monday. And Acts chapter 11 says that the church was praying. Now, why would the church be praying when their last testimony was that when they prayed for an apostle who was about to be beheaded, it didn't work? They kept praying because, listen, we pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if it's not something that we could see happening in heaven, then it's not supposed to happen on earth. And if we have a lack of breakthrough, we don't go cry in our milk and feel like we're horrible Christians and we don't know how to pray and we should just give up. No, we pray again. We shake the dust off and we pray again. And here's the church praying again. And what happens? I love this. In Acts chapter 11, what happens? They're praying, and while they're praying, not coincidentally, but because of the fruit of their prayers, while they're praying, an angel comes and slaps Peter on the legs, shakes his chains off, opens the door, and says, follow me. And Peter's walking, following the angel out of the jail, and going downtown, and he 
walks right to a certain corner, and then the angel disappears. And the Bible says that Peter stood there and came to himself because he thought he was having a dream. Well, I would think I was having a dream too. Literally, what the Bible's saying is Peter had to stop and pinch himself. Is this real? So what's he do next? He goes to the prayer meeting, and he knocks on the door. And a girl by the name of Rhoda opens the door, and she's, she's so excited, she runs back. She's like, I think Peter's at the door. And everyone's like, what? I mean, they're so full of faith praying for a breakthrough that when the breakthrough came, they're like, can't be. And they go back and they double check. I just love the Bible's written the way it is. You don't have to act like you got it all together. They just kept praying. They're like, can't be. And then Peter's at the door, and they let him in, and he shares the testimony of how an angel came, shook the chains off of him, and walked him out of the prison. Now, how many think that's an amazing story? Is that amazing? So incredible. Here's what I want us to hold on to as we want to celebrate that testimony. James' family was sitting there. They were praying. Three days earlier, they're praying for James to get free. James' head gets cut off. They keep praying, and Peter gets an angelic escort. Now, bad theology on faith and suffering is to say, well, I guess there, there must have been something wrong in James' life. What a horrible thing to say. Well, there must have been something going on in their family that we just didn't know about. What a horrible thing to say. The reality is we need to actually understand that here below we live by faith and not by sight. And if it was just a formula where we just push this button and that's the result, we wouldn't need faith anymore. We just need a technique. But we take the technique. We take the method. We take the, what Scripture teaches us. And I love Acts 11 because they prayed and it, and it didn't work. And they prayed and it worked. They didn't change technique. They didn't change strategy. They didn't miss anything. They just kept going. But to me, Acts 11 is a picture of grieving and believing simultaneously. And while they're hugging Peter and thankful that he got out of prison, they're probably no doubt putting their hands, and I bet you Peter was the first one to grab James's family and hold them in his arms and say he was strong till the end. And here's people, back to our text in Acts 28, Here's people looking at Paul coming through a shipwreck. And as he's gathering brushwood and he's getting some firewood that a viper comes out. And the Bible says here in Acts chapter 28 that the apostle goes to get some firewood and a viper driven and inspired by the demonic hordes of hell, came and latched onto him in an attack. It actually doesn't say that. It says that a viper, driven out by the heat. Hold on a second. We know Luke was writing this. Hold on a sec, Luke. Put your spiritual goggles on a sec. This is the devil. The devil is attacking the apostle Paul with a snake. Just like in the garden. We could spiritualize this and crush his head with our feet. Get a woman and she'll do it. (laughs) 
And Luke just wipes the board of all of that hyper-spiritual and just says, nope, it was just a serpent coming up from the heat because serpents don't like to burn like most living creatures. <laughs> Wasn't a spiritual attack. Wasn't the devil. It was life. It was, it just was unfortunate. It happened. And the people, when they saw it, instantly spiritualized it and said, ha, he couldn't survive the sea. He could survive the sea, but now justice won't let him survive. A serpent has got him. And so the people, the Bible says that the people, it's, it's always embarrassing when it's really loud like that. Like, <laughs> like will anyone notice the intro to the Mary Tyler Moore show? That the people stood back. This, this is people in a nutshell. The people stood back to watch. Look it. And just imagine this now. This guy survived a shipwreck. And watch. Look, look, look. He just got bit by a serpent. He did? Yeah, you see that serpent burning in the fire there? He just shook it in there, but it was hanging off his wrist. <gasps> no way. One of those black mambas? Yeah. He's got him. Watch. Let's watch. Ethel, go pop some popcorn. We're going to watch this. <laughs> this guy's going to drop dead. You watch. <laughs> and what does Paul do? He did what I like to call, he, he Taylor Swifted it. Shook it off. He just shook it off. And sometimes... What you have to do when life throws another attack your way, sometimes what you got to do is just shake it off. You can't let it get into you. You can't, you can't sit down and just cry and go, really, God, why? I've been in a shipwreck, and all I'm trying to do is preach and tell people about you, and this is how you treat me? Well, we, can, we can think that sounds silly, but... I think sometimes we read the Bible, we know the end of the story, we don't put ourselves in it and think, how would I feel if that was me? I might feel a little forgotten. Like all I'm trying to do is preach, you called me to preach? A little help, please? I mean, instead of stopping my storm, you, you told me you sent an angel? Like you sent an angel to say, you're going to make it? Oh, great. And then I make it and now I'm bit by a serpent. Paul didn't even stop to pray about it. He just shook it off. He just shook it off. How did he shake it off? And I'm not talking about the physical technique. How did he shake it off? I think that physical technique would have been something like this. Okay. How did he shake it off on the inside? You know, when, when the doctor says something that's just hard to shake, when that lingering argument and the line was crossed, you said something you shouldn't have or, or he or she said something she shouldn't have and you're feeling it, how do you shake it off and just, I'm going to be okay? How do you shake it off? How did Paul just shake it off? I'd like to propose to you that the Apostle Paul held to a promise. When he was in that ship 
and it was, a, it was storming and whatever, that angel came and stood next to him and said, Paul, God's been hearing you pray a whole lot, so he sent me to tell you, you're going to make it. You're going to stand before the Caesar in Rome. You're, you're going to go, and you're going to preach in Rome. And Paul believed that word and told the crew, we're going to make it, and they made it. And here's the deal. When he got bit by a serpent while he's building a fire after the shipwreck, he didn't need to get into panic or worry or fear. And hear me, he didn't need a new word from God. He still had a word that applied to his situation. I'm not in Rome yet. I haven't preached to the Caesar yet. I haven't got there yet. And if I'm still here and the angel said that, I'm going to make it, then I'm going to make it. So I'm going to shake it off and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to let fear get into my heart. I'm going to hang on to what God has said to me already. When you have a word from God, you can shake off the poison and the people that are trying to take you down. You can just shake it off. You can hang on and know that God is for you. And if God is for you, who's going to be against you? Some people are always looking for a word upon a word upon a word. And sometimes all that you need for your faith to just keep taking one step after the other. is You don't need another word. You just need to keep living out of the word you already have. Hanging on to the promise that God has already put into you. David, told, you know, the, the, the prophet Samuel put an oil on David when he was just a teenager and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. When David shows up and there's a battle going on, he's just supposed to be bringing cheese sandwiches to his brothers. And when he gets there and everyone's cowering in their tents and there's a 10-foot tall giant taunting them, and he says, who's going to fight? And no one's going to fight. David says, I'll do it. Why? Because I'm going to be the king of Israel. I'm not king yet, so I know who wins this fight. If no one else will do it and you'll let me, I'll go fight them. Why? I got a word on my life that I'm going to make it. I got a destiny for, to, to fulfill. Joseph had a dream when he was a teenager as well that he was going to rule. He hung on to that dream through every season of his life when he was mistreated at Potiphar's house and falsely accused of rape. He held on to the dream. Peter knew. That he was going to preach. Because <coughs> Jesus told him that he was going to preach. <coughs> Joshua knew that he was going to see the promised land. Are there cough drops or anything? I had a cold earlier. And then I started preaching hard. Now I need a cough drop. <laughs> thank you, honey. And thank you, Lisa. Get it? Honey, lemon. Okay, anyway. <coughs> Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. <clears throat> he said, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you might fight the good fight. In order to fight the good fight of the faith in your life, you need to get anchored to the promise of God's word over your life. Yes, be a student of the Bible. Yes, Study God's word. But hear me, every believer in the sound of my voice. The Bible was not written in divisions to charismatic versus non-charismatic, tongue-talking versus non-tongue-talking, you know, Calvinist versus Arminianist and all that stuff. All that stuff came later. We, we made all those confusing lines later. The Bible is written to believers. 
written to followers of Christ. And what Paul said to Timothy was this. And we need to embrace this as believers in Jesus Christ. He said, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith on the basis of the prophetic words that have been spoken over you. Every believer in this room, you need to get a word from God over your life that will help you to understand the direction and the calling that God has for you. Be a student of the word, but get promises. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, you know I'm going to do this following thing, that. Usually with the prophetic words that God has for your life, usually what God's more concerned with is not so much what you're going to do, but it's who you're going to be. I mean, Joseph wasn't going to grow up one day and be a sheaf of wheat. That dream was an image to help him understand rulership. We need to fight from promise. Why? Because a prophetic word is really, it's, it's God speaking God's speaking from your future into your now to prepare you for the future that is present to Him. Can I say that one more time? A prophetic word is God speaking from your future into your now to prepare you for the future that's present to Him. That's what a prophetic word is for. That's why Jesus didn't call Simon Simon. He called him Peter. I know you shoot your mouth off. I know you got a lot of opinions. I know you think you're better than you are. But you're Peter. You're a rock. One day, you are going to speak with such conviction and authority. I can see that day now. And I'm looking at you from that eternal perspective. I'm calling you into your destiny with even how I call your name. Sometimes we just got to shake it off and hang on to the promise. Third thing we see here in this text is that as a result of that, the people changed their minds. And this, again, this is just people in a nutshell. The people see him get bit by a snake, and they're like, pop some popcorn, let's watch him die. When he doesn't die, they change their mind from thinking justice won't let him live to this guy is a god. Isn't that just people? You're a total loser. You're amazing. People just changing. And listen, if we're always running around trying to convince and argue people into seeing our side, we're going to waste our time and get distracted from the assignment that God has for our lives. Paul shook off the snake, but he also shook off people's morbid curiosity just to watch him get sick and die. And he also shook off the undue praise that came to him for surviving without ill effect. Wow. He shook off the snake and he's not dead. He's special. He's a God. That's sometimes where the weird theology about faith and healing comes from is when we take credit for what only God can do. And I love what Paul does next. While people, even though their faith is kind of distorted, because these people have never heard the gospel before and he hasn't got a chance to preach, he was just trying to warm up after being shipwrecked. And while he's trying to warm up, he gets bit by a snake. And what looks like you know, something that's trying to take them out, it ends up becoming a platform for the good news. Even as adversity, listen, God has the ability to take what the enemy intends for harm and use it for good. God can take your tests and turn it into a testimony. Whoa. God can take the challenges in your life and use them for his glory if we will turn them back over to him. Not shy away from it. Not hide away from it. 
They'll say, okay, yeah, this is how I got here. These people watched him get bit by a snake, thought he was worthy of death, and then they start worshiping him as a god. And what's he do? He takes it as the opportunity to preach the good news to people. And our text says that he begins to lay hands upon everybody on the island who was sick. I love it. I love it. The Apostle Paul realizes, God, I got bit by a deadly snake. And, you know, these people are changing their opinions like the weather, but it doesn't matter. You preserved me, and the reason you preserved me is not just so I could write a book and get a bunch of followers on Instagram. You preserved me so that I could minister for your honor and glory and lay hands on people who need an encounter with the living Christ. And he set about doing that. The best way for any one of us, the best way for you to get through your adversity is to help other people through theirs. It's the best way. You know, when, when people say things like, you know, uh, the church, church is not a building. The church is people. Okay, right. And then those same people say, I don't get fed at this church, so I'm going to go to a different church. Okay. So then they go to another church. And then they're like, this church isn't very friendly, so I want to go to a church that's friendly. You know, if you believed what you said, when, you, when you're saying a church isn't friendly that you're a part of, you're part of the problem because you're the church. Yeah, but I mean, the other people aren't friendly. Oh, well, sorry. Could you explain to me what do you mean? I want everyone to be friendly to me. Interesting. So if you really believe what you said, that the church isn't the building, it's the people, and I, I'm a part of it, okay, then act like it. Be the church. Be salt and light. Be friendly. Be kind. Help other people. When we feel, you know, any one of us could just measure the friendliness by, you know, I'm just going to stop going and see how long it takes to get a phone call. That's not healthy. That's a bad decision. How can I, how can I say that? I've been around. It's a bad, just that's a, it's not a good one. It took six weeks to get a call. You know, I served there for 13 years. <laughs> but if you determine to give out, even when it hurts, let heaven hand out the awards, but give yourself to serving the bride of Christ. I'm cautious criticizing the church, and you'd be wise to be cautious to criticize my wife. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And I know how I would respond if someone was criticizing my wife unfairly. So when we find ourselves in challenge, when we find ourselves in difficulty, when we find ourselves feeling that we're really going through it, I, I want to encourage you tonight. Sometimes the best way through that is to help someone else in their challenge and their struggle. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. It's not faking it till you make it. It's recognizing that this comfort that I'm receiving or have received is worth it to someone else's story because someone else's story might be filled with pain as well. Because some of the pain that is in this room even tonight isn't as obvious as a snake bite. It's not as obvious as just, you know, a shipwreck and going, oh, look at these guys. It's not as obvious as a cast. It's, it's, it's internal. In September of 2009, our youngest daughter, Sarah, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And that sentence does not do justice to all that that means emotionally, spiritually, relationally. For me, for my wife, for our kids, for our family, for our church. That was a storm we didn't see coming. And I remember we were about a year into the journey and, and all kinds of treatments and surgeries and chemotherapies and, and all kinds of, you know, struggle that came with just the, the gut-wrenching reality of what our daughter had to face and how we had to walk that through with her. And we have a family tradition in September. Our family in, in Burlington, which is just 15 minutes from our place, they have every Labor Day weekend, they have what's called Rib Fest. And yes, it's as good as it sounds, okay? And it's like all these different ribs from all over the place. And we just have this tradition. We go and we get some ribs. And then we take them back to our house. We get together with Lisa's parents. And we just try all these different ribs and the little miniature tiny tin donuts. Amen. That's God's will as well. And so my mother-in-law and I went to pick up the ribs and we are going to come back to the house. And I remember standing there in the park and I had got a few different boxes of ribs. My mother-in-law was going to get some of the lemonade and the, and the donuts. And so we were going to meet. It was crawling with people. And so the Spencer Smith Park where they keep it is kind of set on a slight hill. And so I was carrying these ribs and I walked to just, you know, a little bit of an elevated space to look over the crowd of thousands of people, live music, food, and you can picture it, just thousands of people in every direction. And I was standing there holding these ribs. And the thought crossed my mind, and it wasn't a thought of self-pity. It wasn't a thought of, oh, poor me. It was a genuine thought that I actually believe was rooted in the compassion of Christ. As I stood there and I thought, you know, I'm holding these ribs. I just look like a guy who's out to have a great time. I can smile and I can laugh and talk. But the only thing on my mind and what I'm carrying as a heavy weight is how my daughter's doing, how my other kids are doing, and trying to do right and 
the challenge in faith of God, you can heal her, you can do this. And I've got really what, in the crux of it all, really, I know it's a figure of speech, but I know you could appreciate it. It really felt like the weight of the world on my shoulders. I remember standing there holding these ribs on this slight incline, looking over the thousands of people. I thought to myself, I wonder how many other people are here with the weight of the world on them. And they just look like they're picking up some ribs too. In the body of Christ, Paul says, my paraphrase, when you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders and you're finding the strength of Christ to be manifest in you, give it away to someone else because what you've been receiving can help them too. Paul was misinterpreted. His circumstance was misinterpreted. People went from thinking he deserved to die to thinking he was a God. And he's got a, his own questions, I'm sure, on the inside of God. What's going on? The shipwreck and then the snake bite and whatever. But we see in him a determination. I'm going to shake it off. And then I'm going to lay hands on others. Like, Paul, maybe you should have some bed rest after being in a shipwreck for a long time. Maybe, maybe after not eating for a couple weeks. Maybe, maybe you need some rest. Maybe just a little me time, Paul. But in giving away, he wasn't trying to be a hero. In giving it away, what happens is, it's like a garden hose. If you need water... If you're the hose, if it's flowing through you, you can't help but get wet. If you need a fresh touch from God, if you can pray for others and reach out, find those that are bearing weights and burdens around you. You'll find that God's been putting a strength and a grace in you that can be useful and helpful to them. And while God's pouring His Spirit through you on others, He's healing places in you as well. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. And so here's how I want us to pray tonight. Pastor Melissa, if you could just come to the keys tonight. I want us to just pray into a couple of things. I'm going to ask if you just stand with me where you are. And, and once you're on your feet, would you just... Why don't you just close your eyes just, and the purpose of that is not to get in a religious posture, but just so that we might be able to just center in on the voice of the Lord and just hear what God's saying to us. And I realize that the Holy Spirit is such a genius that He can take a message and with this amount of people in the room, He can take this message and He can apply it uniquely to every individual in this room for where you're at and what you're facing. Tonight, I feel like there's perhaps some people here that you've gone from a shipwreck to a snake bite. You found some challenge and difficulty in life circumstance. Maybe for you, you've also felt judged a little bit in the midst of that. Maybe you felt the misinterpretation of others 
reading your circumstance from the outside. But you've been going through it right now. And tonight I'm not trying to get us to become focused on whatever those challenges are. But it is important for us to acknowledge I've been going through something and I need God to help me. And there's no safer, better place to do that than in the house of God. And on this weekend, set aside to just dig in and be hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. I know that sometimes the level of our hunger for Him can be impacted by the level of the pain that we're experiencing. And I know that tonight what God wants to do is speak right to your pain and say, I didn't forget you on the shipwreck. And I didn't forget you in the snake bit. And I want to pour encouragement and strength into you. Even right now, by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're here tonight and you'd say, yeah, I, I have, I can relate to this sermon. I, the shipwreck and the snake bite, I, I, I just feel like it's been one thing after another. And I need a fresh touch of God's grace. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand to the Lord in this room tonight. Why don't you lift both your hands just in sweet surrender to the Lord all over this room. Just private sanctuaries just being built all over this room. Because you're reaching out to God, not, not just confessing pain, but confessing faith. God, I know you can touch me. I know you see me. Teach me, Lord, how to grieve and believe at the same time. Teach me. Help me to manage my disappointment and my faith. Help me with what I can't reconcile experientially and the things that your word can give me as promises. Help me, Lord, tonight as I lift my hands to you to experience the fresh healing of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every person with their hands lifted to you. You know their story. You know their pain. You know their grief and their disappointment. Lord, your word tells us that you are close to the brokenhearted. Lord, I thank you that you are right here right now. Holy Spirit, to do what you do, who you said you are, our comforter. And I invite you, comforter, to come, Lord, in this moment of faith response to your word. Would you pour out massive comfort into the heart of every person with lifted hands right now. The massive comfort of the Holy Spirit. Lord, your word says that you have the ability to give us peace, that surpasses our understanding. Lord, what we cannot reconcile and make sense of, you have peace for that. We lift our hands to you in faith right now to receive that peace. In Jesus' name. Father, I also pray for people in this room tonight who have felt the judgments, the judgments of others judgments people have made based on their circumstance like like the people standing on the shore of Malta thinking that circumstance is a result of some kind of 
injustice not being allowed to overlook. Lord, that pain that is invisible as well, no one can see that, but we carry it, we feel judged, maybe feel like second-rate Christians because of how our kids are doing or how our marriage is doing or because of the prayer that wasn't answered in this area or the other. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would take those judgments, we offer them to you right now, and we lay them at the foot of the cross. We're not going to carry that anymore. We're not going to live under the shame of what other people say or what other people think, but instead, we are going to fully embrace who you say we are. And so I declare over every person within the sound of my voice tonight that you are known by God. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. I ordained you. Lord, I pray that the knowledge of your foreordained good plan for our lives, the plan that you have to prosper us and not harm us, give us hope in a future, the good plan that you have for us, God, we embrace that. We set aside any judgment that would try to confuse our level of intimacy and relationship with you. Now, Lord, we receive the healing that we need. In Jesus' name. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.